Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, November 3rd, we're studying Joshua chapter 19, verses 1 to 31. The tribes of Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, and Asher are next in line to receive their inheritance. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Nate Hill. Pastor Hill serves at St. Michael's Lutheran Church in Winchester, Texas. Pastor Hill, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's great to be with you. As we get started today, let's talk some context. We are in the real estate portion of Joshua, as one of our guests puts it. What should we know as we look at Joshua 19? Well, as we look at this section where we're seeing the allotment to four of the tribes, it might be best for us to uh, pull back a little bit and just look at what we've seen in Joshua so far, especially for people who might just be dropping in with us today. Uh, The context immediately is the time in the history of Israel where we've been through the wilderness wanderings and Moses has given way in his leadership to Joshua and, and the entry into the promised land. However, uh, before Moses dies and before Joshua takes the reins and they cross the Jordan, uh, there is the context of of some battles that are fought between um, Moses and the people against the people in the Transjordan or the area to the east of the Jordan. And um, Joshua 1 through 5 then will describe the run-up to all of the military campaigns that Joshua will lead. Joshua leads um, three military campaigns in the in the book. In Joshua 5 through 12, there's a central, a southern, and a northern campaign. And this is where our Lutheran study Bible is so handy for us with many of the maps that are included. If any of the listeners are interesting or have their study Bible with them in their lap, page 357 in the Lutheran study Bible has a map of where those three campaigns from Joshua 5 through 12 took place. One thing that I think we might not realize in our maybe simplistic um, thumbnail sketch of of the history of Israel is that the conquest of Canaan is not completed under Joshua. However, um, the promise that it it will be completed or that the land will be given is given to Joshua. So what happens is in chapter 13, after he's led those three campaigns, the central, southern, and the northern, the Lord says to him, hey man, you are advanced in years. Uh, It's time for the land to be allotted, even though the conquests are not yet complete. Um, The conquest won't be completely ended really until the days of David, uh, who will take Jerusalem uh, many years later. But uh, the time for the allotments to be laid out is, is now. And first, we see that the allotment is given of the lands that were to the east of the Jordan, those lands that were uh, captured and subdued under Moses. And those lands were really given because of words that Moses had spoken at the time and, and promises that Moses had made or events that had happened previous to the book of Joshua. And what happens over there on the east side of, of the Jordan is Reuben and Gad, those tribes are given an allotment of land. And then Manasseh, which is one of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh is given a half of his portion to the east of the Jordan, whereas 
the other half of his portion will be to the west. Um, so we have those three sections to the east that are allotted first. Second, um, we come to the other kind of special cases here in um, uh, in the promised land on the Canaan side of the river, on the west side of the River Jordan. And the first sort of outlier, of course, is the tribe of Levi, uh, the Levites being the priestly tribe who are um, tasked with the reception of the offerings to the Lord as their being their inheritance rather than an actual portion of land. So Levi is going to have his allotment to be the offerings that are brought to the Lord from which the tribe of Levi will sustain themselves. Uh, third, the rest of the land west of the Jordan is, is going to be allotted first with Judah. Uh, Judah is going to have a special claim and have their land given first because Caleb, uh, the faithful spy along with Joshua, uh, was told that the land that he had trodden upon during the times when he spied out the land would be given to him, and that was a promise made by Moses. So uh, the land of Hebron and then the area that is around that is given to Judah, and the specific borders of Judah are spelled out in Joshua chapter 15. Following that, the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, have their portions completed, and I think that's interesting, you know, showing kind of that, that special status that Joseph had for all of the history that he had gone through with his brothers. Um, so Ephraim and Manasseh are given their portion. Ephraim, his entire portion is in Canaan proper. Manasseh, half of his in Canaan proper, half to the east, as we had mentioned. That's all in chapter 16. And now we get to the, the section that we're in today that begins in chapter 18, where we have seven remaining tribes who have not yet received their land, and it's time to figure out how they're going to get it because specific promises weren't made to them beforehand. Mm -hmm. So I suppose, as a lot of families do in times like this, uh, they are to figure out what might be equal portions of land, so to speak. Three delegates from each of those seven tribes are to go out and survey the land. They're to agree upon how it should be divided in seven parts, and then the only fair way, so to speak, to uh, hand those out is to cast lots, to leave it to chance, or as we know, to the guiding hand of God in the casting of the lots. And each tribe will be assigned a particular parcel, one through seven. Um, previously yesterday, we heard of Benjamin receiving the first portion of the seven. Today, we'll hear about the second, third, and fourth, and fifth, which will be Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, and Asher. Uh, following that later uh, on a future episode will be Naphtali, who receives it sixth, Dan seventh. And then the final step in this whole process, which you'll hear about, I believe, tomorrow, is that Joshua is given a city within the territory of Ephraim, of which he is a part of that tribe, as a sign of the gratitude of the people of Israel for Joshua's leadership in the conquest and the division of the land amongst the people. All right, so that is a fantastic summary of the book thus far. A couple of things that I think we could talk about before we look at the particular section that we've got today. Uh, one is the the fact that, as you mentioned, the the conquest is not complete at this point. And, and we've mentioned that in the past, but as you said, it is something that I think we may forget as Christians, because sometimes we pass over this section of Joshua, because we know what happens. This is where the people of Israel conquer the promised land, and sometimes we forget the details. That is a, a striking detail, I think, that Joshua allots the land while there are still other people living in it. You know, I mean, if, if you go and try to take somebody's land, they might want to put up a fight. So what, is that, I mean, what does that have to say about God's promises and the certainty of God's promises 
in the fact that that Joshua is able to allot the land even while there's still Canaanites living there. Right. It certainly shows the fact that um, God is able to lay claim to everything on the earth for the sake of his people. Uh, the The earth is really the Lord's, the fullness of everything in it belongs to him. Uh, and therefore, he is the one who has the right to assign the deed to the land to whomever he might choose. It then becomes a matter of faith um, on behalf of those who have been assigned lands where there are people still living within it. Now, another thing in Joshua, of course, is we have to make peace with the idea of uh, the fact that they were to lay waste, lay to waste the people that were already in the land. That's kind of an interesting kind of ethical conundrum that we wrestle with at times. And it was um, something that was given by God, not as a general rule of conduct, but for for that particular time and place. Um, But the fact that there were people there should not have deterred them. Uh, They were to believe in faith that the land that God called theirs would indeed become theirs. And of course, there's a parallel to the promised land that we are waiting for, um, that we do not yet have fully um, but the promised land that we await for in our death, and ultimately the resurrection and the new creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the way that you started, even because that was a, a detail that really hasn't been brought out yet. Besides the fact, which is very important, that God has promised this land to these particular people and is giving it to them, and so He can do that. Just even beyond any particular promises God has made, the, the whole earth belongs to Him, and so if if He wants to move people groups around as he sees fit he is more than able and and that's his that's his role as god so i really appreciate that i think that's a very helpful perspective on on joshua and and our whole uh, the whole idea of you know land in general Let, let's also talk about just the fact that the text that we've got today you know as you laid it out we're in that real estate portion and going through the book of joshua so far here and there, there are these accounts that there's little stories in the real estate portion. You know, we saw the the daughter of Caleb, Aksa, earlier in Joshua 15, and we had a few you know, a brief accounts in, in Ephraim and Manasseh about some of the conversations they had with Joshua. By the time we get to Joshua chapter 19, I mean, we're pretty much reading city names and boundaries, and that's it. So... I've asked this question to the other pastors as well, but I'd love your take, particularly because I bet when you got your text for this time around on Sharper Iron, you had the largest sigh of anyone. God God forbid it, surely. But what do you do with a text like this? How do, how do we approach texts like this as, as Christians? Well, it's, it is admittedly a hard slog, and um, I was thankful for the fact that I know in this format you get to do the reading of the text, um, so that <laughs> was right. good. You know, you get all the pronunciations here in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> really, what you have to do with one of these texts uh, is, is a couple things. First off, we recognize it as the inspired and errant Word of God. If nothing else, a text like this is an evidence to the reliability of the Word of God. Insofar as historical places are named, um, borders are given such that when you read these and you really have a scholar sit down with them and plot out with surveyors precision where these lines are, you can have a map that shows the allotment of each portion of land. And um, again, in our study Bible, there's another map in this section of Joshua on page 365 that shows the 12 tribes and where they're located. So as I was reading this and all of these names, I was constantly turning back to page 365 to say, where was that again? Because these are not places that we're familiar with today. But um, someone, when they do sit down with that text, can look at each one of those places, look at extra biblical literature that speaks about those places and see, this is not a fairy tale land. This is not some place that has been made up as a figment of our imagination, but 
Um, it's, it's laid out really with a surveyor's precision here. So, so that's what I would say on, on one hand. Perhaps just to the, the regular listener out there, you know, what are you going to do with these texts? Power through them. It's okay. You know, um, perhaps uh, don't skip over them, really. You know, take the time, do the work, you know, read through them. Because there are those nuggets in there that you're going to find certain place names that are going to jump out at you. And you're going to say, well, I think I remember hearing that somewhere. I'm going to turn to my uh, concordance and see what else might have happened in that town. Um, but if for nothing else, um, don't despise the word as you read it, even when it's a obscure portion like this. And it's also okay to recognize that um, while this, is, this portion is the inspired word of God, just as much as the Beatitudes, that we might have more depth of, of thought and reflection on those clearer, more, dare I say, significant portions than these. Well, okay, so this isn't going to be the first place that you're going to turn in the scriptures to read. But as you said, it is the inspired word of God, and we know it does point us to Jesus. As you were talking about the first point you made, that we are reminded of the reliability of the word of God, and and you know you can find these places on a map, and a scholar today can you know point them out, at least most of them, and have a pretty good idea. Yeah, it just thinking through, and the fact that I get to try to pronounce them yet again today. This is always my favorite part. It's a reminder to me that the Bible isn't only for me in my context in 2022 in the United States of America, that God has come to save all people. And and here he's doing that for a people that has Hebrew names and Hebrew cities, and even some, as we'll see, some some names that are, aren't Hebrew as well, or they at least have, you know, there's names of false gods in here. It's a it's a reminder that this is a it's a worldwide story. I don't know if I'm expressing myself very well right now, but it, it's it's bigger than just me and Jesus. There's this is a large story that encompasses all creation of all time, and yet God did do things in a very specific place. So I mean, it's just you get both of those things. I think the specificity of God's promises, but also the the worldwide nature of them at the same time. Yeah, I, I think anytime we read the scripture in its broad historical context, it, we do get that glimpse because we have our noses down to the grindstone of our daily lives, and and we rightly appreciate God's word as as giving us specific promises. But um, I think we're often surprised by the the reach and the breadth of of the gospel and of, of Christianity. I, I know that's true to me as well when I'm able to get a glimpse into a different culture of which I know very little but in which the Christian church exists. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. another one of those those mind-broadening experiences that helps me understand um, just how valuable the faith is, not just for people like me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because it, it is, it's very easy just to, to think of Christianity as me and Jesus, or maybe me and my church, wherever I am, and lose that broader perspective that that God has come to redeem all creation, and He's done so in this very specific land that we're talking about. And you know, I mean, even as so, God's got this worldwide view. He's come to to have authority over all nations to save all people. He's done so in very specific ways. So it is for me, but it's also for for all. And to see that. Here, I think that's another thing, just reading these very specific names that maybe we don't know, but someone does, and someone does in a very personal way. And so even though it's not listing, you know, my particular town, wherever I live, although maybe I do live in one of these towns at some point, that does mean that God does know about these towns. He cares about those towns, and surely he cares about the places where where we live as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, 
something you said there just threw a systematic topic out in my mind of, you know, this idea of objective and subjective justification, right? It's the idea, the objective justification is that Christ has paid for the sin of the world um, in full, um, subjective justification, capturing a little bit more of this aspect of that it is a salvation that is received by faith individually um, in my own my own life. Um, but we shouldn't be fearful to, uh, we shouldn't couch the terms of salvation in terms like, if you this, if you that. Right. Um, you can proclaim the broad promise that Christ has died for the sins of the world. Christ has died for your sin. And it doesn't always have to be couched in that uh, subjectivized language that can can cause someone to wonder if the promise is for them too. Yeah, so. yeah, that's right, that's right. So we get to see that that worldwide view of God by reading about places that we've never heard of before, perhaps, but also to see that God loves you, dear Christian. He loves you. He has come for you. You ready to, to jump into Joshua 19? I am ready to listen to you read Joshua All right. 19. I think we're just going to go through the whole text at once, and then we'll come back so that we get these place names. Here we go, Joshua 19, verse 1. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the people of Simeon, according to their clans, and their inheritance was in the midst of the inheritance of the people of Judah. And they had for their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Molada, Hadzar Shual, Bala, Edzim, El Eltalad, Bethuel, Hormah, Ziklag, Beth Markaboth, Hadzar Susa, Beth Labaoth, and Sharuhan, thirteen cities with their villages. Ayan, Ramon, Ether, and Ashen, four cities with their villages, together with all the villages around these cities, as far as Baaloth Bear, Rama of the Negev. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Simeon according to their clans. The inheritance of the people of Simeon formed part of the territory of the people of Judah. Because the portion of the people of Judah was too large for them, the people of Simeon obtained an inheritance in the midst of their inheritance. The third lot came up for the people of Zebulun according to their clans, and the territory of their inheritance reached as far as Sarid. Then their boundary goes up westward and on to Marial and touches Dabasheth, then the brook that is east of Jokniam. From Sarid, it goes in the other direction eastward toward the sunrise to the boundary of Kisloth-Tabor. From there, it goes to Dabareth, then up to Japhia. From there, it passes along on the east toward the sunrise to Gath-Hafer, to Eth-Kazin, and going on to Ramon, it bends toward Nia. Then on the north, the boundary turns about to Hanathon, and it ends at the valley of Iftathel, and Katath, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Bethlehem, twelve cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the people of Zebulun, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. The fourth lot came out for Issachar, for the people of Issachar, according to their clans. Their territory included Jezreel, Keseloth, Shunem, Hafariam, Shion, Anaharath, Rabith, Kishion, Ebez, Remeth, En Ganim, En Hadah, Beth Pazez. The boundary also touches Tabor, Shahazamu, and Beth Shemesh, and its boundary ends at the Jordan, 16 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Issachar, according to their clans, the cities with their villages. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans. Their territory included Helkath, Hali, Betan, Akshaf, Alam Melech, Ahmad, and Mishal. 
On the west, it touches Carmel and Shehor Libnoth. Then it turns eastward. It goes to Beth Dagon, and it touches Zebulun and the valley of Iftahel, northward to Beth Emek and Nael. Then it continues in the north to Kabul, Ebron, Rehob, Hamon, Kana, as far as Sidon the Great. Then the boundary turns to Rama, reaching to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the boundary turns to Hosa, and it ends at the sea. Mahalab, Aksib, Uma, Afek, and Rehob, 22 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. That's the text for today. That's Joshua 19, verses 1 to 31. Excellently done. Whew, boy, that was, that was, yeah. That's one of those, you know, every, every place has, has names that you, you can tell if you're from there or not based on how you pronounce them. And I, mm-hmm. I just revealed myself as not from the tribe of Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, or Asher. That's, yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's, uh. <laughs> but that's okay. Actually, we, I talked a little bit about this yesterday, I think, with uh, Pastor Wergau that, you know, maybe the fact that we can't pronounce these place names, we can lean into that a little bit because one day we will meet the people who can in eternity. And so they, they can correct our pronunciation. Again, a reminder that God saves real people in real places. So we got four tribes today, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, and Asher. We're going to be flipping around a little bit, looking at some text from Jacob's blessing and looking at some of these place names that, as you mentioned, hey, I heard that somewhere else. So let's start with Simeon. Give us, what, what are you, where do you want to start with Simeon? Well, let's first envision what Simeon looks like in its land allotment and where it is found. So Simeon is really the only landlocked, I guess you would say, tribe of all of Israel. Uh, they are located, as it says, in the midst of Judah because Judah is is too great or too large of a land. So Simeon really it, it forms a circle in the very middle of Judah. Um, we'll also understand later on in the divided monarchy that will be you know included as Judah is spoken of as being within sort of its borders and its land. Right. So uh, it's going to be south of Jerusalem, south of of Bethlehem. Uh, Beersheba is really kind of the center of the area of, of Simeon. And other than just the southern borders of Judah, it is as far south, really, as any of the tribes have an allotment. And then the other three that we heard, which we'll talk about in a minute, those three, uh, Zebulun, Issachar, and Asher, are all going to be up north, um, closer to um, the Sea of Galilee and and over to the, the Mediterranean Sea. So Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, as you mentioned from the beginning with the introduction, when you look at the way the, the land has been allotted, it really has, has followed more of a theological pattern uh, up until up until this point. You know, Judah was first in terms of the tribes at least, mm-hmm. and then Ephraim and Manasseh. But then once you get past that, now we're just dealing by lot and it's I mean we just got with Benjamin in chapter 18. Now we're Simeon in the south, and then we're going to move back up north. So it, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of striking I suppose, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I don't know if you you thought about the the order that is given here. I I think the only thing that we can really say about the order is that this is just the way that God chose to do it. He caused the lots to fall this way, and so Simeon comes next of these remaining seven tribes because that's what God wanted. Right, exactly. I looked into this um, because it's hard for me to keep this straight without a chart in front of me. I found a chart of the families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob you know, uh, who the mothers were and, yeah. you know, all of this kind of stuff and the birth order. And it really does not follow birth order. Um, Simeon was the second to be born. You're like, okay, that's a second lot. But the pattern falls apart after that. Um, you have them, not just the, the, 
the children of one of the mothers or anything else like that. So it, it does seem random in a way, but of course we trust that that was directed by God in the way that he's so pleased. Um, but the important thing is they receive their portion, right? right? And I think some of this gets around to the way people worry about, oh, am I going to have a mansion in heaven or am I just going to live in some kind of a hovel up there? Um, you know, I, I don't lose any sleep over that because I know I've got my portion in heaven. However that looks when we get there, uh, we'll figure it all out when I take the grand tour when, I, when, I, <laughs> when I'm there for the very first time. Uh, but I know a lot of people are troubled by that. And I, I assume, you know, in this section, I'm not sure how these seven felt. Yeah. That, you know, we just kind of get the leftovers. I mean, one of them is left uh, to get number seven. Is it? Is it Dan, I think, that yeah, gets think number Dan seven? Yeah, I think Dan is last, yeah. Dan's right. also, uh, you know, like child number five, like the middle child Dan. I'm, I'm sure there could be a sermon preached about, you know, what it's like to be Dan. Um, <laughs> but the answer is, uh, you know, you rejoice that the Lord has given you a portion by his grace and and that's the the important thing. Well, I mean, and Simeon particularly, you know, and he's the second born, as you said. And there's a variety of reasons why he gets skipped over in terms of you know who gets the inheritance. And, and we already talked about Judah being the one through whom the promise comes. But Simeon here, like he doesn't even, as you said, he's he's landlocked in the sense that Judah is all around him. And so you know, it, this would be like it, when you when you get to eternity. You don't even have your own mansion, but you get a room in Abraham's house or something like that. Yeah, with you know? no windows, right? Yeah, yeah, with no windows. Okay, <laughs> but but as you said, this is still an inheritance in the promised land. It is still gift, and to be in the Lord's promised land is is better than any other alternative, even to have you know the best land somewhere else to be where the Lord is. That's the point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. So, in, so Simeon gets the inheritance. As you mentioned, Beersheba is going to be one of the the main towns in Simeon. And and when you look at that map, if, if my memory serves with Beersheba, Beersheba is often used as a, a southern boundary. It's not the entirely most southern point in Israel, mm-hmm. but often the land of Israel will be described as the land from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. And so we are in the southern part of the land, and Beersheba is a central town in, in Simeon. Yeah, exactly. And and what's interesting, too, about that phrase from Dan to Beersheba, because that's in my mind, too. Yeah. Dan's not way up in Galilee, either. Right. You know, Dan is kind of to the west, northwest of Jerusalem, so that's an interesting uh, kind of detail there as well. Well, and, and Dan, I think there's also a town name, Dan, oh, okay, farther okay, in yeah. the north, too. But oh, yeah, well, there but, we go. But, that must yeah, be it. Yeah. yeah, but Dan to Beersheba. So we're dealing with the southern part here in oh, Simeon. Oh, there it is right there on the map. I know. That's what I saw, too. There are two Dans. There are, I know. There's a tribe of Dan, and then there's also a town of Dan in the oh, north. Man. I know. Crazy, Dan man. city, Dan state. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, we have this still today. That's right. That's right. There's a few more things that we need to talk about with Simeon, I think, but we're going to pick those up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're looking at Joshua 19 with Pastor Nate Hill. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, 
A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, November 3rd. We're studying Joshua chapter 19, verses 1 to 31 with Pastor Nate Hill. He serves at St. Michael's Lutheran Church in Winchester, Texas. Pastor Hill, before the break, we were talking about the inheritance given to Simeon, which is totally enclosed in the land of Judah. And I believe we talked about this a little bit on Sharper Iron previously in the study of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 33, Moses blesses Israel, and he names the tribes, but he doesn't actually name Simeon. And if if I remember correctly, when we talked about that, we thought that perhaps the reason Moses does not name Simeon is due to the fact that he is enclosed here in Judah, and as you said, becomes associated then with the southern kingdom later when the kingdom is divided after the days of Solomon. So, But the other, the other place where Simeon does get mentioned is the blessing that Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes, gives to them. I'm going to go ahead and read that for us, because there's, there's at least a little bit we can talk about there. So this is Genesis 49, or verses 5 through 7, and Simeon and Levi are handled together here by Jacob. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Uh, so you got Simeon and Levi dealt with together, and the two two brothers, as Jacob mentions, were known for their their violence, which is perhaps one of the reasons why they were skipped over until you get to Judah for the promise. Other other things to to notice there about Simeon. Well, I think what's interesting you mentioned here in Genesis forty nine, we have uh, Jacob's blessing, and Deuteronomy thirty three, we have Moses' blessing. And I think the difference is Jacob is blessing literally the sons, sure. whereas Moses is blessing what are the tribes. So I just see so much more. Uh, of a vivid depiction of the actual character traits yeah. of the men themselves here in Genesis 49, and then the, those character traits kind of imposed upon the, the tribe or, or read into that tribe's history. Um, that's that's about what I'm getting out of it. Sure. The other thing that, that someone pointed out, I think it was a note in the, I don't know if it was the Lutheran Study Bible or elsewhere, that pointed out where Jacob says that he will divide them and scatter them in Genesis 49, verse 7, mm-hmm. does end up proving true for Levi, certainly, as you pointed out. Levi is scattered throughout the land of Israel, and Simeon to a degree as well, by the fact that they're here in Judah, not really having their own land, not even mentioned by Moses, that proves true as well. Yeah, but you know, as you read that in Genesis 49, you think, okay, he's going to put them on opposite ends of the kingdom, right? Mm. You sit at this end of the table, you sit at the other end of the table, don't <laughs> so you talk don't to your brother, so you don't fight. Um, but but really, they're both centered in in Judah there as as neighbors, you know, with the right. priestly, um, priestly sacrifices happening in Jerusalem. So All right, so that's Simeon. Next comes Zebulun, second for us today, third in this list. Uh, where should we start with Zebulun? Oh, gosh. I mean, maybe we would start with Jacob's blessing again in, okay. in Genesis 49. We might look at the blessings. First. All right. Yeah. So Zebulun is found in Genesis 49, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Now, that, that seems to prove true based on what we get here in in Joshua 19, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, um, it The borders, of course, line up exactly with that. So, again... Uh, the lot doesn't fall randomly, does it? Right. 
Um, the lot falls according to the promise that were the blessing that was given all the way back to Jacob. So um, that's an interesting way to way to think about the casting of the lots that we didn't get to at last segment. Well, and I think you know you were you mentioned when we were talking about why a text like this matters or how we approach it as Christians. You talked about the reliability of the scriptures. So we see the reliability of the scriptures in the sense that this is a historical narrative. These are real places. These are real people that we're talking about. But I think just making the connection to Genesis 49 also shows the reliability of the scriptures and the word of God that even Jacob spoke there, that what Jacob spoke in Genesis 49 actually came to pass. God, God's word proved true in that sense as well. Yeah, and I mean, in that, in that sense, it doesn't really matter then which of those brothers were chosen by Lot and which were assigned kind of ahead of the draft. Um, the, the promise is true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Zebulun has the land by the sea, as you, as you mentioned, when we talked about Simeon, we're in the Southern part of Israel, but now we're in the Northern part of Israel. Zebulun's by the sea. This, this is one, if if that language, the way of the sea or by the sea sounds familiar, this is, this shows up elsewhere in scripture as well. Right. Yeah. And, And this gets to the actual geography and topography of the land too. Um, you had what was called the Via Maris, the Way of the Sea, where you have the, the essentially a mountain range going uh, south to north through the land, and there are only a, a certain number of places that you can pass east to west. So this uh, area in this Way of the Sea was a major trade route. Obviously, the sea is a, a major place of, um, of of transport of goods uh, and whatnot. So that's um, that's where we get that that phrase from. Right, and and Isaiah the prophet uses this language and he even mentions the tribe of Zebulun very at least I think famously because it gets quoted by St Matthew in his gospel in Isaiah 9 the prophet writes this there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations that's from Isaiah chapter 9, and St. Matthew quotes that verse as being fulfilled by the fact that Jesus begins his ministry there. Mm-hmm. This is Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Those are texts maybe we, we hear around the time of Advent, at least with Isaiah 9, or sometimes in the season of Epiphany, we get that text from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus' ministry begins in the land of Zebulun. Exactly, yeah, and, and Jesus, of course, the Judahite, right, yeah. um, in the line of David, um, going to Galilee of the Gentiles, is is a picture of, of the far-reaching nature of, of the gospel that Jesus Jesus brings. Right. My, my understanding of, of some of these northern tribes, particularly Zebulun and Naphtali, who are mentioned here in this way of the sea, is that sometimes being pretty far removed from Jerusalem, and then again, when the divided kingdom happens, of course, they're not going back to Jerusalem to worship anyway. When enemies would come and attack, these are the tribes that would get hit hardest and get hit first, because normally you attack Israel from the north. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so these were, I mean, you talk about dwelling in darkness as Isaiah does, that's where where these tribes come in. 
the grace of God is shown as Jesus begins his ministry in this land of darkness, in the land of Zebulun. So again, connections to other parts of the scriptures. And and again, when you read these names in Joshua 19, like, man, what do we do with this? Well, here are some places where this area is, is quite important geographically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one other thing is we were talking about just names that, that pop out of cities. You know, we do have one uh, city name here, Gath Heifer, uh, which uh, a good friend showed me previously is indeed the place where the prophet Jonah uh, How about is that? From. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gath Heifer is the, the hometown of, of Jonah, apparently. That's mentioned in, in 2 Kings, I believe it's chapter 14. There's also another town in there, as, as I was reading through, and you get to verse 15, and oh, there's Bethlehem. But that's not the Bethlehem that we're familiar with. Yeah, sort of like the city of Dan and the state of Dan. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So again, another familiar place, but that is a different Bethlehem than the one that Jesus was born. I'm looking for that Jonah reference right now because it's a, you know, we know Jonah is the one who got swallowed by the great fish. Okay, so this is 2 Kings 14. Oh, verse 25, it's talking about the reign of Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom. And, and Jeroboam II restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. So there's Jonah mentioned in 2 Kings, who did some work in the land of Israel, actually. We're most familiar with his work in Nineveh, but there Jonah actually also was prophesied in Israel, and he was from Gath Hefer in the land of Zebulun. How about that? See, I mean, this is these things. I think you know, going through those stories make these these texts come more alive for us and and put the put the meat on the bones for us. Any more on Zebulun? Uh, no, not that comes to mind for me. All right. So next comes Issachar. This is fourth in line of these seven. Let's go back to Genesis chapter forty nine and find out about Issachar from his dad Jacob. This is Genesis 49, verses 14 and 15. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. There's Issachar for us. What do you think? The noble donkey. <laughs> Sturdy donkey, noble donkey, strong donkey. Where are we in the in the land of Israel with Issachar here? Uh, so in Issachar, we are uh, immediately sort of to the south of um, Zebulun. Uh, it has a, a bit of its border with the Jordan, so it's going to be just south of um, this, uh, just south of Zebulun, going east to the Jordan River. Yeah. Um, all it right. contains all of those towns with strange names that you read earlier. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We'll come to that. I want to look here also at Moses' blessing. We've, we've mentioned it before. We haven't read from it just yet. In Deuteronomy 33, verses 18 and 19, uh, both Zebulun and Issachar do get mentioned together. And as we said, they're right next to each other. So this is Moses' words. And of Zebulun, Moses said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call peoples to their mountain. There they offer right sacrifices. For they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. So there Moses has some pretty positive words to say both to Zebulun and Issachar in terms of their location, which stands in a bit of contrast to what we read from the prophet Isaiah, I think. You know, Isaiah talks about them dwelling in darkness. Here Moses has some language about them rejoicing in treasures and abundance. You know, maybe a reminder of of what the Lord will do in his fulfillment in this part of the, the land there in Issachar as well. In terms of the places that are named, there's one that stands out to me, and that is the town of Shunem. 
in verse, what is that? Verse 18. You know anything about Shunem? Yeah, so uh, Shunem uh, calls to mind Shunamite, which is one of those wonderful yeah. words. I, I was thinking earlier, a lot of these could be wonderful for a spelling bee. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the Shunamite woman uh, in, in the days of Elisha is the widow whose son dies, and Elisha uh, causes to rise from the dead in that great miracle. So um, she is a, a wonderful example of the faith and a, a foretelling of the promise of the resurrection even back in the days of Elisha. Yeah, I mean, that, that account is found in Second Kings chapter 4, and it is. I mean, it's amazing to see how often the prophets of the Old Testament do the same things that Jesus will do even more fully in the New Testament. The the Shunammite woman, yeah, she's she's mentioned all she's got quite a bit of of text there in 2 Kings chapter 4, and it's a great example of the way the Lord works throughout history to defeat death and he does that of course finally in his son Jesus Christ. So Issachar, Issachar, any more in Issachar? Well, um, it's not mentioned here in Joshua 19, but Issachar is the area that includes Nazareth. Ah. So um, there's your other piece of trivia about Issachar. Okay, and Nazareth is significant. Why? You know, I think I, I read something in the New Testament about Nazareth. Um, what was that again? <sighs> Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, yes. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth, which, you know, that, that passage from Matthew chapter 4, that's where he... That's where he was from. He was known as being a Nazarene from Nazareth, and yet he left Nazareth and went to Capernaum, made that his his home base of sorts, and that was the fulfillment of the prophecy. It's The Lutheran Study Bible has a note about this, that Nazareth is a part of, of Issachar, and, and, yet, and yet it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth is apparently looked down upon, which, I mean, that's that's found in the New Testament as well. Mm-hmm. I forget who it is. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is that right. Nathaniel? Yeah, it is Nathaniel. Yeah. So God works in unusual ways. He does. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a evidence of the humility of Christ. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we've got Issachar. And then lastly, we have Asher. Give us some geography while I'm turning to Genesis 49. All right. I'm going to find my map again. <laughs> well, this you know you have to do that. You have to do that. You either have to have a Bible that has a map right there on every page, or you have to flip back and forth yeah, every time. Study Bible, page three sixty-five, in our map again. Uh, Asher is um, the furthest west and north of the twelve tribes, so its uh, northern border is just about as far north as you can go. I guess Manasseh on the east side goes a little little higher, but um, the land Tyre is there. Uh, it's on the Mediterranean Sea. Naphtali to the east, Zebulun to the southeast, um, and it's uh, bordered at the Kishon River on the south. Okay, so that is the land of Asher. This is what Jacob, Asher's father, has to say about him. Genesis 49, verse 20. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. That's all that he has to say. The Lutheran Study Bible suggests that Asher occupies a very fertile area in Canaan, thus fulfilling Jacob's words here. And then Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 33, this is verse 24 and 25 of that chapter, of Asher, Moses said, most blessed of sons be Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your bars shall be iron and bronze and as your days, so shall your strength be. And now that I read that, I recall some of the conversation we had about about Asher then. The name, Asher comes last in Moses's blessing there in Deuteronomy 33. And Moses says he is most blessed. 
Now, I know my Hebrew is not what it used to be, Pastor Hill, and I'm sure yours is much better than mine, right? No. Well, <laughs> perhaps you remember, <laughs> I remember this at least, the word Asher in Hebrew does mean blessed. And so Asher actually is blessed by name and blessed by lot, as we see here. So both the words of Jacob and Moses proved to be true in Joshua 19. Any, any particular town names or place names in the tribe of Asher that we should pay attention to? Well, uh, Carmel, Mount Carmel comes to mind, which is uh, one of the first cities. Well, it's mentioned in verse 26 here. Um, My favorite account of the Old Testament. Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the great showdown there with the fire that comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice Elijah has prepared. And then the prophets of Baal are are put to death um, for their treachery. So that's certainly a very significant text in, in the Old Testament. And then... Knowing a little bit about Hebrew again. Look at uh, you. Yeah, there you go. Beth Dagon, right? Dagon, the the pagan god. So the house of, of Dagon. the Philistines, I believe. Yeah, I yeah. believe so, right? So I, I hope they renamed the town I, when you they know, took it. That's one of those things. It's and this it's it's striking. You know, let me flip to that map too here. So the the territory of Asher is farther north than the Philistines. The Philistines were, were farther south along the Mediterranean coast, around the land of Judah and Dan. You have those those cities of the Philistines. So Asher's farther north, but apparently the, the god Dagon had a little bit farther of a reach. So house of, of Dagon or even temple of Dagon, depending on, on how you look at it. Uh, so the people of Israel wouldn't have called it a temple, but yeah, you hope that they renamed it. And and perhaps in that, you know, I mean, thinking about this northern area, an area where there's going to be a little more of that pagan influence from the outside, you know, if the town like Beth Dagon, you see the Lord's desire to convert the pagans and to, to you know, to teach those who worship false gods that he's the true God. And so seeing these pagan names in here, of course, the name Baal or Baal shows up in multiple places. We don't always recognize it, but it's it's in there if you're paying attention. That too is a reminder. These were pagan places that the Lord is is bringing his true religion to. Absolutely, yeah. And the other thing about Asher that, again, is not listed here because this comes later, but Anna, the prophetess, uh, who recognizes oh. the infant Jesus as the Messiah, is born from the tribe of Asher, as we see her in Luke chapter 2. Mm. The, other, the other thing that you see here, and these aren't Israelite cities, but they are often mentioned in the Old and New Testament. You have both Sidon in verse 28, Sidon the Great, and then the fortified city of Tyre in verse 29. Tyre and Sidon often get mentioned. Those are, those are not Israelite cities, but have influence upon Israel as well. And I think it's Jezebel is from one of them. I believe Queen Jezebel is from Sidon, if I'm not mistaken. So we have we have significant place names outside of Israel mentioned. Again, noticing how this very particular land begins to to touch on other places, God's desire to reach all people with the truth of his word. So there are four tribes for today, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, some of the significant places that we we saw and we see elsewhere in the scriptures. You and I were talking, uh, you know, as I was as I was reading this, we mentioned this during the break that it is it's fun to read in the sense that you can imagine someone who knows these places 
following along very perfectly. I mean, I almost picture like, you know, my, my grandpa drawing on a napkin. Here's how you get to the places. Here's what it looks like. And you, I think you said, you know, you turn by the oak at the corner of the road or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you, you can, you get the sense that this is a real text. If we knew all the information, we'd be following along perfectly. And that, that's another great reminder that God comes to real people in, into our human lives. Uh, and, and that's very true, especially in this, in this text. Got about seven minutes here. Pastor Hill, not just to fill time, but to reflect, to reflect on this text from Joshua 19, hard place names. Again, thinking about what we've looked at, what we've talked about, what, what are some other reflections on Joshua 19? Well, I guess some other reflections that that come up for me, as you mentioned, this kind of surveyor's precision, that's that's a wonderful thing to see. I, I'm, I'm picturing the three delegates from each of those seven tribes going out with their surveying sticks almost as, as you see people on the side of the road today. Yeah. So, so they did take their tasks so seriously. Um, the other thing that I've noticed here is they're not fighting. Yeah. They're not fighting over the inheritance at the moment. Right. <laughs> you right. Know? And this is a contrast to what happens so often when land is, is a matter of, of inheritance and a will or even, even a house or the estate of anyone, you know, the recognition that they had was God owns the land. God is blessing us with a portion of the land. We're content that God has chosen us to receive it. We would do well to recognize that in our day too, um, that all our material possessions and maybe especially the ones that from time to time, you know, people might stand to receive, you know, by inheritance, which is certainly like a metaphor for grace. Um, We ought to be be very thankful for what we graciously receive and not jealous of, of the portion of someone else. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that they're not fighting, at least not now, and, and that they receive it as a gift is a, a wonderful reminder for us as Christians that all that we have comes to us as gift. These tribes don't deserve any of this land. You know, when you look at some of the words that Jacob does speak, for example, to, to Simeon and Levi that we read earlier, I mean— why not write him out of the will, Jacob? Well, no, that's not how it. That's not how Jacob's going to do it, and that's not how God is going to do it. He gives these things, and so they they do. They rightly receive them as gift. The surveyors going around recognizing this is a part of the land that God is giving to us, and so we're we're going to receive it with thanksgiving rather than jealousy or covetousness or greed. Uh, what what else, Pastor Hill? Well, you know, I, I suppose the other thing that comes to mind is as we look at these maps and the lines being drawn. Ultimately, through the sin of the people, the the land later on doesn't look the way that it's been allotted by God here. And that's not an uh, indictment against God and the promises that he gave. It's an indictment against the sinfulness of the people. I mean, one of the sins, of course, that, again, is hard for us to, to wrestle with is that they didn't completely put to waste the, the people in the land. Now, I'm sure you've spoken with your other guests about this. The entire point was to to get rid of the idolatry, to right. get rid of the worship of Baal and Dagon and all right. the land, which the people so easily um, turned from. Uh, was it, um, gosh, was it Issachar a moment ago that we read about in the blessing where um, the high places and the mountains that they're giving uh, sacrifices to God out from the fish? Which which one of those was it? Issachar um, talks about right sacrifices. Right sacrifices, yeah. yeah. But of course, what becomes a problem later on, especially in the north? The yeah. high places are not used to give a right sacrifice to God of the fruits of the earth and thankfulness to Yahweh, but they're used to to sacrifice to the false gods of the nations that were allowed to remain and to fester there. So, you know, it's hard for me to understand someone from 
a merely Old Testament perspective, who doesn't have the New Testament, um, how do they make peace with this? Mm. That what has been described here in these sections really isn't how it looked not too long later and isn't at all how it looks today. Well, how we understand that as Christians is that this points forward uh, ultimately to a new covenant, not a covenant of the law that you know is dependent upon our own behavior and our own faithfulness, but the covenant of grace that comes with Christ, a covenant that depends on his faithfulness um, and his work for us. Um, and that's an even better picture of, of the gracious giving of God than the Old Testament was at all. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these inheritances point forward to the, the true inheritance, the true, and, and you brought this up earlier already with the idea of the now and the not yet, and with Simeon you know, not getting to dwell even just in, in his own land, but in the middle of Judah, that all of this is pointing us forward to the inheritance that is ours in Christ, the one who actually came to this very land, as we've talked about some of his activity in these tribes, he came to this very land to be the fulfillment of all of this inheritance and an inheritance not just to these 12 tribes and their descendants, but finally to to all people. A couple minutes here to, to wrap us up and point us to Christ as our inheritance. Right. So ultimately what is partially fulfilled according to the promise, I suppose you would say here, is fully fulfilled in Christ and in its ultimate fullness comes in the new creation. So this is why, you know, we have a number of, of twelves and of ideas of the tribes in Revelation, right? This this notion that it's in Christ that that finally all this is fulfilled. And uh, twelve apostles, for example, that correspond to the the twelve tribes, um, it, it points us forward to that which comes in the New Testament and in Christ where um, we can't mess up the promise that he has accomplished for us. Pastor Nate Hill is pastor at St. Michael's Lutheran Church in Winchester, Texas, helping us today with Joshua chapter 19, verses 1 to 31. Pastor Hill, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. Great to be with you. Joshua 19, a lot of place names, and yet here we see the Lord keep his promises to these specific people, and also we know to us in Christ Jesus. He is our inheritance, and we look forward to being with him in eternity and the resurrection of the dead. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua, comments on the series, or if you'd just like to let us know where you're listening, please send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.